Good morning. It is time to get up with Super Saiyan Fran Fabulisco. Holy smoke, do they look good. Did we see the team to beat in the NFC last night? Or is it how about them Cowboys after a resounding Minnesota smackdown? Is this the best chance Jerry Jones has had in a quarter of a century? Plus, here's the real question. With everyone in his division moving on up while his team falls behind the pack, should A.A. run one out before it gets worse next year? Those are the questions. We've got all the answers as we get up with you starting right now. Look at a beautiful sunrise behind us here in New York City. Delighted you were there. Graziano's here. Mike Tannenbaum is here. Dominique Foxworth is up early in our nation's capital and ready to go. The big swag will join us a little bit later as we take on Monday Night Football last night in Mexico City. Dominique, look at the scene last night for the Niners and the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. It was a very exciting game. I kind of wanted to be there, but... Alas, Thanksgiving week, we're home. The players loved the entire scenario there, and then they got it going. Christian McCaffrey, early second quarter, taking it down, putting the Niners in scoring position, and then it was Garoppolo who had a terrific night finding Brandon Ayuk. Oh, yeah, this is outstanding man coverage with the whole player. He looks off the whole player, comes back to Ayuk for a perfect pass. And he's got the dance moves, Niners up 7-3, and then there's nothing, Meek, you love more than a tip drill. Oh, yeah, tip drills are great. You don't even have to cover well. Just run to the ball, good things are happening, let's catch it and turn it into more points. Colt McCoy with the pick, and here's Jimmy Garoppolo maneuvering the pocket, and there's George Kittle. Jimmy G had a good night last night, Nick. MVP Jimmy G, he balled last night. Maybe he put himself in that race. 228, four touchdowns, no picks. Now we go the other direction. And, oh, we got a little trickeration. And here comes Debo coming up the field. Oh, you got any way you can to get the ball in his hands. And they had Trent Williams blocking a corner and McGlinchey on the safety. That's a well-designed play. Debo going to do his dance. Two touchdowns, and then on they go. Here's Elijah Mitchell. The, the Niners did everything last night. They ran it for 159 total yards, just thorough domination. And then Garoppolo again. Ayuk again. Touchdown again, Dominique. It's another perfect pass right in stride. Pump your fist. Celebrate. Jimmy G had a hell of a game. 31-10, and then for good measure, he got two to Ayuk. He needs another one for Kittle. This one off the play action. Oh, yeah. Now, this is the more the Jimmy G I'm accustomed to seeing. Give you a nice short pass to, uh, <laughs> to, to a playmaker and let him rumble down the sideline and score a touchdown. Well done, Kittle. Kittle had his two touchdowns. Ayuk had two touchdowns. This was a resounding statement from the San Francisco 49ers, and our Lewis Riddick was looking on, and he tweeted, the 49ers are bullies, the kind that can turn the NFC on its head. And listen, it breaks my heart to say it as we bring this out, because I've been the one riding the Dallas bandwagon all season long. But I'm going to make the statement right now. That team we watched last night, that looks like a Super Bowl team. With the weapons they've added, with the health, people forget how banged up that defense has been most of the year. But it is elite. I'm watching a team play last night, uh, Mike T, and all I can think is, I could easily see that team in the Super Bowl. Nope, they'll be watching the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. That team that we saw on Sunday against Minnesota, who, by the way, was 8-1, and one, is a little bit better. Taking nothing away from the 49ers, who are really good, as you mentioned, Greeny, they've only had four players start every game on defense. And you think about their top five in offensive efficiency, top ten in defensive efficiency. But when both teams play their A games, Dallas is slightly better than San Francisco. Mm, I'm going to try and convince Graziano well, over here. If I can, work. I'm going to do the best I can. Here, here's the, the, the formula is teams that have gone through their adversity, they've yeah. gone through it, that yeah. make the big midseason acquisition, mm -hmm. which they did of McCaffrey. No one will add anything 
anything better than that. It's true. It's a team whose record, I think, is not reflective of where they are right this minute. Do I get – can I hear an amen from no, Garziano? No, I'm <laughs> with Mike Tannenbaum. I think the 37-point road victory over the previously 8-1 team is a lot more impressive result. Look, if the 49ers have a playoff game against the Arizona Cardinals or another team that is just as ambivalent about tackling as the Arizona Cardinals are, then I think they've got a really good chance to go to the Super Bowl. But unfortunately for them, in the playoffs, you do play the better teams, such as – Minnesota, who Dallas went in and absolutely thumped, again, in their building. I, I, I think the 49ers are good. I am not ready to get on this, oh, they're the most dangerous team in the NFC bandwagon. Are you on the there. train to San Francisco, Dominique Foxworth? I can't believe that this argument is between Dallas and San Francisco. You're right. being so disrespectful to Philadelphia. Like, I, I, I think that Dallas is very good. But what Philadelphia has done so far this season has been impressive. Yes, they're in a bit of a lull, but they'll come out of it and play well towards the end of the season. But it's certainly not the 49ers. I got them as potentially a Final Four team. However, it comes down to the quarterback spot. And the guy you see right there, Jalen Hurts, is playing quarterback throughout the course of this season as well as anybody. And I trust him. Him to take a, a leap and play well in the playoffs more than I do Jimmy G to make those plays when you need your quarterback to make some plays. I understand that. Jimmy G remains the most confounding player to classify in the entire NFL because all they do is win when he plays. Why are you shaking your head I, like I that? I don't think he is. What I think, is I think, they, I think he's a, a solid quarterback that eventually is going to either you know get injured or make a play that gets you beat. I, I think that's what he's proven to be. And the 49ers know this, which is why they aggressively traded up to draft his replacement two years ago. Uh, and, and now they're, they're going with him. They're putting as many great pieces around him as they possibly can to prop him up and hope that it finally works this time. It is remarkable when you think about it, Mike T, as a person who made your life in team building and all of that. I mean, you want to talk about the road less traveled. Jimmy Garoppolo was the guy who they were absolutely trading. Then he had to have the surgery. Then he wasn't even practicing with the team because it was so clear he wasn't going to be on the team. Then all of a sudden, here he is, and he might lead them back to the Super Bowl. I agree. The most consequential move the 49ers made in the last two years may have been that pay cut that they got Jimmy G to agree with because imagine where they would be today without him. And we can say a lot of things about what Jimmy G doesn't do, but the one thing he does is win. And I know we can argue about winning is not a QB stat, but when this guy's in the game with this team, they either go to Super Bowls or championship games. Winning is only not a QB stat when we don't want it to be. Like, winning, <laughs> Dominique, winning is as a QB stat is the most conveniently used statistic in the world. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. The reality of it is, if we're going to give other quarterbacks credit for winning, we cannot take it away from Garoppolo. When he plays, they win. It is a pretty simple formula. We still can take it away from Garoppolo. I think that he played really well last night, and we should be impressed with him, and we should celebrate that. But when the reason why you lose is because of your quarterback, I think it's unfair to then count games that they won last year despite him as, like, a credit to him as a player. I feel terrible, like, talking bad about him after he played well last night, but we know who he is. He has the capability to play that great in those situations, but he also has the capability to do what we saw him do in the playoffs last year. Well, when he finished the season healthy, he was in the final four each of the last two years. Again, there was a season in between, but he was hurt and all of them were hurt. So, I mean, let's put it this way. He's certainly good enough to win with because they win with him. I mean, you can see by the way that they design game plans in the playoffs that they don't trust him. Like, like to get to the final four that first time, I think he threw eight passes right. in the game against they the Vikings. They only had to. I mean, well, he most of it was running. My and point no is, like, you, you have a choice of what to call, and they try to take the ball out of his hands as much as possible come postseason. I'll say this. He looks good. I think he looks better yeah, he great. this year.
here than we've seen him in the past. He's decisive. He's quick with uh, – so maybe. Right. But and they have better weapons. I agree. Like the old Parcells axiom, go by what you see. They've only had four defensive players start every game. This is a team that's been undefeated in their division, and he's the constant. So, is it the Niners or is it the Cowboys? Our next stop is Dallas. Cowboys are 7-3 and three after that 40-3 thumping of the Vikings behind a near-perfect game from Dak Prescott, speaking of whom. Michael Irvin had this to say yesterday on First Take about his team's quarterback. No doubt in my mind that that team that I saw said we are the best team in the National Football League. We ain't got to talk about how y'all went all after Dak last week. Everybody went after Dak. Dak got to stand up and show he a man. He has to lead this team right now. He has to show he can beat this team. And you said it because you had no faith. No faith that he could do it. But Dak has always been a great overcomer. Overcomer. And he's always over-delivering. It's one thing to build overcomer. That means you get over things. But when you overcome and over-deliver, that's a whole nother statement. (laughs) 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 Now, Dominique, what what can we possibly say in response to that? It's nothing. Like, I, I, I... I, I love it. Like, I think that we should just have a show of us play, replaying Michael Irvin getting enthusiastic about anything. And that is more entertaining than anything any of us could do. I just want to run that clip back for the rest of the – we got two more hours. Just run that in a steady loop of him making up words. And actually, all those words were good, but I would like him to make up some words, some okay. over words. Then I'm going to give you some words. That, that you, and it's not so much you, but a lot of other people who sit at this desk over the course of a week. I want the same energy – that I heard last week about Dak Prescott delivered this time in his favor. Nick, and I'll start with you as a member of the Prescott family. He was sensational the other day. Oh, by the way, since he's come back, they've scored more points than any team in the National Football League. And all of last year, when he was healthy, they scored more points than any team in the National Football League. Dak Prescott is an elite-level quarterback, and people, for some reason, don't like to say that out loud. Nick. Yeah, when you say people, you're excluding me. And Dak Prescott has been quite a fruitful horse for me to ride because for whatever reason, y'all watch him do this and then act like he's not capable of doing this. And then I get to come on TV and say, Dak's really good. And then he comes out and does it again, and you all act surprised. So, like, I, I'm happy to see it. I know I'm not surprised by it. Last week, I was telling y'all all, chill out. Things got a little ugly, but Dak is fine. And again, he shows up and he over-delivers, overcomes, overcompensates, <laughs> and y'all are all overrated for hating on Dak. <laughs> well said, Gross. I He's not talking to me. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I, you talk about same energy. This is, they are a good team. He is a good court. Like, they are, they are fine. And this is what I was saying last week. Since he's come back, they've scored a lot more points than they scored in his absence. Even all that winning they did with Cooper Rush, the offense is operating at a higher level. They've gone over 40 points twice since he's come back. So, look, I, I, think, they're in, I think they're in great shape. I think they're, they're going to be right there in the end. To the point that Dominique made earlier, Philadelphia has a two-game division lead and a head-to-head win over Dallas. They have the advantage right now. They deserve to be called the best team in the NFC. When it's all said and done, they may well be. We're having a conversation about who can knock them off. I think Dallas is the scariest team, and I think Dak Prescott is a huge part of that. And part of the reason for that, and, and I'll, I'll take it a step further, Dak Prescott is the reason for it, Mike T, and you have been on his bandwagon, so we don't have any of the haters here, Michael, but uh, you're, you're uh, Michael. 
Michael Irvin, I mean. But the yeah. point of it is that if you're looking at the teams that we really like in the NFC right now, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jalen Hurts, it's still very early. He's been great. Yep. Dak is the guy that you believe in. And Greeny, of those three, absolutely one game. I'm taking Dak Prescott. Look, we could quibble about is win a quarterback staff, but points are, and they're number one in the NFL when he plays. And if it's even possible to have an underrated superstar on the Dallas Cowboys, they do. Tony Pollard is a superstar. He is a difference maker. Long handoffs out of the backfield. When he touches the ball, he is really hard to get down in open space. And to me, he's the real X factor when we talk about these three teams. And, and, and the words or the letters OBJ continue to come yeah. up. Cherry himself brought them up very quickly. Are they going to add another piece to this thing, Danny? I think they'd like to. Obviously, Odell Beckham is a guy that you know teams are going to need to see healthy first. You need to see what the contract demands are. I think that's a ways away, but they've been clear about their interest, and they do feel like they need another piece at wide receiver. Yeah, agree. I'm confounded by that. I've signed her player. Sign him right now. Have him in your building rehabbing. Have him go to meetings and practices like, so when he can play, he can hit the ground running. If he like can he play anywhere else, th- there's no certainty. Yeah, I mean, there's right. no certainty that he's going to be able to play in a meaningful way this season for anybody with right. the knee. If he can and he joins the Cowboys, that could be the kind of move okay. that, that tilts the balance of power in the entire conference. As we continue, speaking of the NFC, with everyone in his division moving on up while his team falls back behind the pack, should Aaron want out before it gets even worse, long before it gets better? We'll answer that question. Plus, with one simple word, did Zach Wilson ruin everything? Do the Jets need to bench their young quarterback right now? We will answer that question directly next. Come on, get up. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Delicious, meat nutritious, and the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is, not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
We are back on Get Up, and we are brought to you by Disney's Strange World, only in theaters Wednesday. Get your tickets now. All right, as we continue on Get Up, let's play a game we call Awesome, Awful, and Awkward. Nick, tell me something awesome you saw this weekend in the NFL. Oh, the catch by Cole Komet. Like, the Bears didn't win this game, so and they oh, left with um, Fields getting a little injured. But this was an outstanding one-handed grab, one grab and getting hit in the hip like that. It was really impressive. You don't want to go past this game without uh, getting a better look at this. Oh, gosh, that's tough. Spectacular catch. Komet has been one of the more reliable weapons that Fields has had in his uh, second half strong performance. Uh, let's go next to Mike T. Mike T, that was awesome. Give me something awful. Greedy, this one's for you. This is an awful miss by the officials. Look, great punt return here by uh, Marcus Jones. But coming up, Mac Wilson, number 30. Block in the back. You can't miss that call. Look, they probably win the game on a field goal, but... That is an awful miss by the officials sealing the jet loss. Yeah, it, it, it's just not making me feel better, but you're right. It, no, there were so few seconds left they would have just kicked a field goal, but it was windy. It's certainly not impossible that they would have missed it. All right, that's awesome and awful. How about Graz? Give me something awkward. Well, Zach Wilson, who is considerably more responsible for the Jets' loss than the officials were, <laughs> uh, had an opportunity in his post-game <laughs> news conference. They said, are you letting your defense down with your play? And he said, no, that's a layup, Zach. You say yes, and you go back in the locker room owning your role in the problems and I imagine it was pretty awkward for him to go back in there and face his defensive teammates uh, after that performance and that comment. Well, look, I mean, Zach Wilson has become the conversation piece around yeah. the entire National Football League for all the wrong reasons. Uh, the point that Graz is making, he refused to take real accountability for his performance, and then that led to a long day of speculation yesterday, at the end of which Robert Sala came out and refused to say he's going to be the starting quarterback. Listen. I'm going to get to the tape and just evaluate everything, and uh, I'll leave it at that. We're keeping everything on the table over the next couple of days. So you're, so you're not committing to Zach as your starter for Sunday? Not right now. Not until I'm done evaluating everything. Important to know. That's the first time he has said that. He has been steadfastly behind the young quarterback through whatever have been the ups and downs of his previous career. Mike T, I will start with you. It is as directly as I can ask the question. Should the gents bench Zach Wilson? 1,000% yes. It's an absolute no-brainer. This is an opportunity for Robert Sala to establish himself as a credible NFL head coach. We live in a world of accountability. Players are fine if they're late. They don't wait the right amount of weight. And when you play this way, you can't go out there and let him be your starter. He hasn't earned the right. Candidly, he should be the third stringer. Mike White and Joe Flacco should battle it out. If you're going to hold other players accountable, it starts with your quarterback. He is not playing good enough. When you can't complete a pass behind the line of scrimmage, you don't deserve to play. Yesterday, um, something I didn't mention is that Robert Sala was two hours late for his normal media availability mm. before he came out and said that. As one who has been behind those closed doors, what does that suggest to you? It means he's been with the owner and the general manager, and they're making huge organizational decisions. And here's why. Mondays is usually about with the players watching the film, getting with your doctors, making sure that you have the right amount of players, bringing people in for a workout. When you're two hours behind, it's because you're making consequential decisions. And when Robert Sala, Greeny, as you said, changes courses, that's because he's met with the owner, he's met with the GM, and they're probably going to make a change at the quarterback position. It suggests to me, and I, I'm not an insider. People sometimes, because they associate me with the Jets, they think I know things that are no, going on inside kidding. the building. You're I do not. not in the meeting. With the I, I'm not in the meeting, and I don't have sources in the meeting. Okay. But the only thing I can assume is that the Jets, because Sala has been so steadfastly behind Zach Wilson that his inclination was to stay that way, and then as the day went 
went on, he realized for whatever reason that he just cannot. And the likeliest reason for that, I don't know what the owner thinks. I don't know what the general manager thinks. But I have to assume the locker room, Dominique, is the problem right now. There were reports that a lot of the players, particularly on the defense, were frustrated with Zach Wilson's play and then his answers. How about the locker room component in all of this, Neek? Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. They could care less about the fans or anyone else. It's making sure that you have the locker room. And I think leadership from the head coach's position is a lot about creating buy-in. Because while you have a lot of power, you don't have that much control. And tomorrow, Wednesday, is the first day of preparation for all the players for next week's game. And you need them to be locked in and confident and bought in. And the only way I see, there's a couple ways that I could see them creating that buy-in. One is with a quarterback change. And two is with some sort of major event that they bring Zach in, and maybe they do that today. Robert Sala talks to Zach and finds out where his head is at, and Zach needs to address the entire team on Wednesday morning, first thing in the morning, before the first meeting, and take full responsibility, and then follow that action with all the stuff that you say you want to see from a player, where he has to be the first guy in, last guy out, doing extra work, and make sure the team is aware that he knows, and they all know, that he's playing for his career right now. And that type of like emotional statement to start the week can create the buy-in. If Zach's head is not there, then you got to sit him on the bench and bring in somebody else. Otherwise, the rest of the team is not going to be bought in for the week, and you'll get a lackluster performance from everyone. The problem with playing Zach Wilson this week, the second he has an incomplete pass in MetLife, he will deal with booze that he's never that's, heard of before. That's not It'll a, be like a road yeah. game. The, the fans are, are, are not going to be pretty this week either. What do you think of it all, guys? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. I think there's a possibility they do what Dominique's talking about, is, is present to Zach Wilson, here's the situation, here are the consequences, and see how he handles it. And then maybe give him another week uh, where he's not facing the Patriots, who are clearly a team that he can't uh, handle. So I think that's possibility. The thing this reminds me of, Green, when I covered the Giants, they would they put players on conference calls with the media every Monday. Mm-hmm. And every, every week that they lost, Eli Manning was one of those players. And every week that they won, he wasn't. He wanted somebody else to go out. So that, that was, to me, that was like subtle accountability. Like if we lose, I am the quarterback. I'm the highest paid guy. I'm going to be the one taking these questions. I, I feel like that's the kind of example that, that goes a long way of a young quarterback's looking at how to conduct well, himself. such a well-made point. And there is no evidence whatsoever that Zach Wilson gets that. And, and to the point that Dominique was making uh, about how he needs to express to his teammates that he realizes he's playing for his life right now, professionally yeah. speaking, there has been nothing in, in any of his behavior to this point that suggests he understands that. Nick, yeah. really quickly, it, it go ahead. It, it won't take much. Like, the guys know yeah. that. They all experience that same thing. If he delivers, and I know I'm not one to say that speeches mean a whole bunch, but if he delivers an impassioned speech, when those boos come down, the guys will galvanize around him. They want him to succeed. They don't mm-hmm. dislike him. They want to be on his side. But it's hard to be on his side when after you get your ass kicked, he goes on the camera and is like, no, no, it's not on me. He needs to walk in and say, it's on me. And I know that I am on the verge of being a bust. And I need this game this week. I'm going to do everything I can to make this team succeed. And I hope you can do the same thing for me. And then you go into the week where guys are bought in.
All right, we will see if the, we'll have more on this as we go. We'll see if the Jets announce some sort of decision today. We'll make some phone calls as we continue. In the meantime, uh, on we go. And coming up next, is it possible that these two legends, Brady and Rodgers, could end up playing somewhere else next season? In fact, it borderline feels likely we'll talk about it. And then we got sneaky hembo time for Graz. Here we go. Michigan and Ohio State will play for the 12th time with both teams ranked in the top five. What is the second most common top five matchup ever? The answer is next. Back on Get Up, and our good calls are brought to you by Subway. Last night, Niners rolling in Mexico City. Brandon Ayuk was great. KNBR, San Francisco, take it away. Garoppolo in the shotgun, looking left, throws for Ayuk. Ayuk will take it down, break a tackle, and get in the end zone. Touchdown, San Francisco. Ayuk, Ayuk, Ayuk is on fire. Oh, no. I like it. We don't need, we don't need no water. And, and that, even I know that one. All right. Niners have reeled off three straight wins. They're six and four. They're three and one since they got Christian McCaffrey. And I opened the show by saying this is a team we might well see in the Super Bowl. The San Francisco 49ers. Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers are not. Aaron (laughs) Rodgers and the Packers lost to the Titans last week. At this point, they're just playing out the string. They've lost six out of seven. They're four and seven. They're third place in the NFC North right now and headed in the wrong direction. Our analytics give them just a 5% chance to make the playoffs. Green Bay entered the year with the highest playoff chance of any team at the exact inverse. Look at that. They had a 95% chance. Now they have a 5% chance. We can spend, and we have spent much of our season trying to figure out how they went from one of those two places to the other. But that's where they find themselves. So here's my question for you, Dominic Foxworth. As we consider the immediate future of the Green Bay Packers in a a division where the Bears feel like they are ascending with a really good young quarterback and a ton of draft capital and a ton of money to spend. The Lions feel like they're coming on. They have a good young player that's going to come back and join them now, the receiver out of Alabama. They've got a couple of very high draft picks. The Vikings are already one of the best teams. Do you believe that Rodgers and the Packers should want to consider uh, separating at the end of this season for the better of both sides. Neek? Absolutely not. I mean, I think if the big question was they need a receiver, it seems like Watson is turning into something that they can rely on. They still have a ton of talent on defense and some great running backs. They, In my view, they still have the best roster headed into next season of anybody in that division. We all know that the Vikings aren't as good as their record shows. The Bears have a quarterback that's on the ascent, but he's not quite where he needs to be yet, and they have a lot of other holes. And also the Lions, their defense is not good, and I'm not sure that the draft picks are going to solve that. So if I had to pick one of these teams to win next year's division, it's the Packers behind uh, a little bit worse Aaron Rodgers with an improving receiving core over any of the rest of those teams, unfortunately. Okay, so, so you and I may not see that the same way. Let's live in a world, however, where at least the consideration of a change was being okay. made. We know the contract. Yeah. Can it be done? In, in simple yeah. layman's terms, if both sides wanted a trade, could they do it? They could, yes. The way the contract is structured with the option bonus, they don't have to pick it up until almost the regular season, start of the 2023 year. Yes, you could trade him. You take a big dead money cap hit. 
of 40 million. It goes down if you wait till after June 1st. A lot of, you know, a lot of wheels in motion there. But you could you could do it if he insisted and you decided to move on uh, and you were willing to eat the dead money. I just don't think that's the most likely outcome. I think that this decision was made in March when when he decided to come back and they signed him to a contract that's going to pay him almost 60 million dollars next year. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's I think the most likely outcome here is that he's back in Green Bay. It's possible he could decide to retire. That's always a possibility and will continue to be with them. But I, I don't think, yeah, I, you could do it, yes, but I don't think that's the most likely outcome. Th- that was a decision that was made when we thought they had a 95% chance right. of making uh, the playoffs. Yeah. And here we are 90% in the other direction later. Things can change. But to Dominique's point, you have to assess what next year looks like. I mean, if you feel good about your roster, you feel like this year obviously didn't go the way you wanted it to, but next year can be different, then you run it back with your star quarterback. But Greedy, if you listen to Graz's words, he committed to coming back in March, but he didn't show up until training camp. And when you have a young roster of players, it's consequential. And it's played out that way. Christian Watson's gotten better. Romeo Dobbs has been inconsistent with injuries. But the point is, if they want to have their best chance to be successful, if Aaron Rodgers wants to come back next year, you have to work with your young skill players much earlier. Dominic, he's right. I know you hate it. You're going to yell and scream at him and all that. But he's 100% right. Rodgers, this year, and look, I mean, Rodgers has done so many things right in his career. He's one of the greatest players of all time. But this sort of half-in, half-out attitude that he's taken the last couple of seasons has really wound up hurting this team, and I believe that's part of it. Go ahead, Nate. Well, I mean, if you're saying half in, half out about the contract negotiations, whether you come back or or not, that's fine. Maybe you could say that, but that's his right to do that. And if he shows up for the things that he's contracted to show up for, like, I feel like it's absurd to start putting pressure on him and blame him for the season. Maybe the coaches should do their job and coach. Like, I'm not, I'm not implying that they aren't, but, like, it's not Aaron Rodgers' job to get everybody else ready. And possibly it's important for some people to get away. And Aaron Rodgers seemed like someone who has a lot on his mind and a lot going on. And him at his best is someone who has a proper break. So assuming that the solution to fix everything is more football, I think it's wrong. It's a faulty assumption and it's unfair to any of the players, no matter what position they play or how much you're paying them. So at the end of the day, Graziano, the likeliest scenario in your mind is that Rodgers is back as the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers next year, uh, the week one, and Jordan Love, the future is just completely uncertain. I believe that's the likeliest scenario with this disclaimer. I have no idea what Aaron Rodgers is going to want to do. <laughs> and neither, neither does anybody do they, else. And no one is quite sure if he does either. So that's we'll leave right. that there for the moment. In the meanwhile, we have to just blast Hembo over here. Okay, come oh, on, Graziano. Let's go. So sneak Sneaky Hembo has now descended to a level because yeah, I mean, he's he's such an incredibly small human pure being. Pure desperation, right? That he can't stump Graziano, who was an NFL expert and insider. He can't stump him on a pro football question, so he's got to throw up a college question. This is what he does when he gets desperate. He's done it before. What's I know his playbook. You didn't have a World Cup question handy over I could, there? I get you on World What's Cup. the matter with him? Anyway. Anyway. So Michigan and Ohio State, big game this weekend. Twelfth time, they're both top five. I hope you get this right. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to. What is the second most common top five matchup? I don't know. You know, Tannenbaum has some good guesses, right? He's got to be teams that have been great for a long time, that play all the time. He was giving me, like, USC, Notre Dame. It's a good guess. I, my first instinct, and I want to go back to my first instinct because I got talked out of it last week and lost when I should have won, uh, was to say Oklahoma-Nebraska because they used to play – they used to be one and two all the time. And they It's had so the close. They're, it's they're, close. They're, they're third. Texas-Oklahoma is the – answer. Uh, all right. 
I'm, yeah, that's not bad. I'm off by two games. No, you were very that's not close. Bad. I'll that take should, it. There's I feel no pretty, way I'm putting that on the standings. I feel pretty good Kalen, about that. do not put the standings up. Change. There's no way that counts for Hembo. No way. That is an absolutely disgraceful act. Uh, he should be ashamed of himself. Frankly, his newborn twins should be he ashamed of him. He doesn't look ashamed of himself. No. He, it, uh, All right. They're insisting that this one counts. We're going to have to have a meeting after the show. <laughs> Meanwhile, let's talk about the games this weekend, okay? Because we had a couple of CFP hopefuls that had some close calls last weekend. Number three, Michigan, needed a last-second field goal against Illinois. Nine seconds to be exact. They find a way to win, so they go to Columbus. They haven't won there since 2000, but they go in unbeaten. TCU also needed an unbelievable scramble drill at the end to kick a field goal in walk-off fashion and get themselves to 11-0. The Horn Frogs will be Big 12 champs and almost certainly earn their first playoff experience if they win two more. Tennessee, however, it went completely the other way at South Carolina. They allowed their most points in over 80 years, and they lost their Heisman contending quarterback, Hendon Hooker, to a torn ACL. Just brutal. And so as we prepare for tonight's rankings, here they are, Heather and Paul, who bring us our insight every single week. So obviously, as Tennessee goes down, that helps a lot of teams. Let's start with you, Heather. Who was the biggest beneficiary of Tennessee getting knocked out of the conversation? USC, Greeny, they could be number five tonight. I think they have a great chance at that. And they're two wins away from serious consideration for the fourth spot on Selection Day. If they beat Notre Dame and they beat a ranked opponent in the Pac-12 Conference Championship game, then I think that they have an excellent chance of getting in. Here's a sneaky Hembo stat for you. 26 teams in the college football playoff era have finished their conference championship game with one or fewer losses, and only one of those teams, 2018 Ohio State, did not get into the college football playoffs. So history is on USC's side if they run the table. All right, so there's one option. Paul, who else? Who else might be a beneficiary of Tennessee getting knocked out? Well, I think it's the Michigan-Ohio State loser, especially if it's Ohio State. They have a better schedule. And even though the game is at home, if that's a one-point game, a field goal like we saw last week, they are in pretty good shape. After that, Greeny, I'm not really sure there, there is another beneficiary. Maybe TCU, uh, should, should uh, the Horned Frogs lose in their conference championship game, some people have brought up Clemson. I think that's laughable, the idea that Clemson uh, could work its way back into there. Uh, they, they've really done nothing all year. Their conference championship game against North Carolina has already been dinged by North Carolina losing to, a, to an absolutely woeful Georgia Tech team. So I, I think we're really talking about two schools here, Southern Cal and the loser of the big game Saturday. Okay, I like it. And with that thought in mind, Heather, if I asked you which team has emerged as the biggest X factor in all of this, you've been saying this all year. Who is it? Notre Dame, the team that lost to Marshall. This is amazing. <laughs> but Notre Dame could single-handedly knock out USC in the entire Pac-12 conference if they win that game. And Clemson got hammered by Notre Dame. So that's going to impact the selection committee's view of Clemson if they finish as a one-loss conference champ. And Ohio State, to Paul's point, 
if they don't beat Michigan, they're going to be clinging on to their win against Notre Dame in the season opener with the hopes that that's enough to impress the selection committee without winning the Big Ten East. So that is three college football playoff contenders that Notre Dame could potentially impact in the committee meeting room on Sunday. It's amazing. Well, if you think about it, yeah, that look, uh, the win that they that Ohio State has over Notre Dame will look all the better if Notre Dame winds up beating USC at the finish here. So it's amazing how these games that were played basically in August still wind up having an enormous impact. And then how about in your beloved SEC, Paul, where obviously the loss of Tennessee takes a team out. It's not Alabama's year. Georgia in the mix there. How does the Michigan-Ohio State game inform what winds up happening to Georgia, LSU, any of the other SEC hopefuls? I think what it really shows is this is about the only school that could beat Georgia, and I'm talking about the winner of Michigan-Ohio State. TCU, I know we, we had our fun with them last week. They're a very good team. If they get in the playoffs, congratulations. They'll still lose by three or four touchdowns in the semifinals. And Southern Cal has had a phenomenal season. Caleb Williams may very well win the Heisman Trophy, but I don't think the Southern Cal defense can stand up to Georgia or Michigan slash Ohio State. I, I think we're really talking about two schools remaining in my mind, uh, and actually three, two, two playing in the game Saturday that could possibly win the national championship. So to be clear, that's Georgia, that's Ohio State, that's Michigan. And for you, it ends there, Paul? It ends there. And Heather, I'm, 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 I'm all ears, uh, plenty of ears here to, to listen to if you have another school that could uh, possibly that, crash the party. Now, I think those are good picks, but I will say this about USC's defense. <laughs> those turnovers that they got in that game, I mean, Thompson Robinson had three picks in that game, and the defense at the end of the day is the one that sealed it, and their turnover margin is the one thing that might give Georgia a little bit of an issue. Paul, here's my question. If I get Michigan, Ohio State, and USC, can I claim three Big Ten teams? Because USC, they're not ours yet, but they're going to be. Can I claim three Big Ten teams if USC gets in? I think you can, Greeny, because Southern Cal, in my mind, is a Big Ten team as of today, as of your, as of your statement right there. Absolutely. I, we claim them. If, they, if those three get in, then the Big Ten has three teams <laughs> in the playoff. Uh, tonight, we will get the exclusive reveal of this week's rankings, and as you just heard, they will be critical. Reese and the crew breaking them down top to bottom, start 7 Eastern on ESPN and the ESPN app. Coming up. Tampa Tom did not come out of retirement just for one season, did he? Could he end up somewhere other than Tampa next year? We'll answer that question next. You're watching Get Up on ESPN. back and it is time for something we call overreaction Tuesday. I will say something that I think people are generally saying and then Dan will tell us if that something is generally an overreaction. Like if I said Hembo was a weasel for giving you a college football question, would that be an overreaction? It's not an overreaction. Greeny is desperate. He's trying to bank wins at the end of the season. It's how the game works. Trick. So now you understand how this works. So now let's do some football questions. Complete control over the situation. If I were to say the Eagles offense is in trouble without Dallas Goddard, would that be an overreaction? I think it would. Look, they struggled against uh, the Colts on Sunday. But, hey, the Colts have a good defense. It was their first game without Goddard. This is something they have to address. They're going to have to make adjustments to score points without him. But he's also not out for the year, and they'll get him back eventually. They have enough good players around Jalen Hurts that I think they'll be able to overcome this. Plus, they won that game. 
game where their offense struggled in Indianapolis. Next stop is Cincinnati. If I said the Bengals are still the most, the AFC's most dangerous team, would that be an overreaction? No, it's not an overreaction. This is still a team that went to the Super Bowl last year, has all the same guys back, and improved offensive line. They still have Joe Burrow. Look, if you let them into the playoffs, AFC, you do so at your own peril. They have shown an ability to win a playoff game in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. How many other AFC playoff teams can say that? Now, look, Jamar Chase comes back healthy. I think they're the, the most dangerous under the radar team for sure. And then, speaking of under the radar, if I said the Falcons are going to catch up to Tampa and win the NFC South, would that be an overreaction? I think it's not an overreaction. Like, I don't think it's going to happen, but if the Buccaneers aren't careful, it can. I don't have any concept of how the Atlanta Falcons are winning games. And and to be fair, they've lost more than they've won. But they, they've won more than you would think, and they just sort of have this ability to hang around. I think they could be very annoying to Tampa Bay if Tampa Bay does not get its act together and have a strong second half of the season. Well, so th- this, that's going to go one of two ways. I, I agree with you because I think we all figure Atlanta's going to finish right in the neighborhood of 500 because yeah, that's what they've been, yeah, right? They could steal one here and there and just sort of be a problem for a team that's underachieving like Tampa Bay has. Correct. So that's the question. Does Tampa start achieving? I made the statement here last week, Dominique. I expect Tampa to put on a very strong second half. You've seen some signs. I know it hasn't been spectacular, but some signs in their last couple of wins. I know Munich feels like a very long time ago, but it really isn't. Do you believe that it starts moving in the right direction for them? Because I'm going to get to Brady's future here in a second, but are they going to have a strong second half here? Because that could inform part of what they decide to do. Yeah, it feels like they might have a strong-ish second half. The sad thing is it doesn't have to be that strong considering the division that they're in. So I think a lot of teams in the NFC are really disappointed in the NFC South because they had a chance to be done with Tom Brady in this very talented Bucks defense, and nobody in the South can put them away. So, yeah, I mean, it's not going to take much, but you get them in the playoffs, they're going to be trouble for everybody. So, you see, they've got the good chance to get to the playoffs. We'll see. In the meantime, the question that was on the screen a moment ago is the one I want to ask you. And that is, what does Brady's future look like beyond this year? First he was retired. Then he's back. Now we understand there's been some resolution, you know, to the circumstances in his personal life. How do you view his future beyond this? Because I hear a lot of people suggest to me they think he continues playing and not where he is. Yeah, I think it's really intriguing. And let's remember this, Greeny. Sean Payton and Tom Brady have the same agent, and they could be a package deal. There's a number of teams out there, Carolina, New Orleans, maybe Las Vegas, Arizona, that could be looking for possibly a head coach and a quarterback. I think this is really intriguing because if he keeps playing and he goes someplace else, it's not going to be for a rebuild, and he's going to go with somebody that knows how to coach offense, and Sean Payton would be an ideal partner. Well, I just wrote down the names you mentioned. New Orleans, let's... The idea of Sean Payton going back there feels unlikely to me, right? But but let's look at Arizona and Las Vegas. I don't see Brady at this point in his life going to a cold-weather city, right? Probably not. That's kind of tough to picture. It it feels to me like he really likes being down there in Florida. We know that there was an interest in Miami. That seems to have gone the other way now with Tua. What do you think of it? Is there a place Tom Brady could go next season, Dominique Foxworth, and be right in the Super Bowl mix? I mean, I I think not if he's bringing Sean Payton, because I think San Francisco would be a good place considering his history with that place. And uh, I think New Orleans is not a bad idea because they have talent, but the Vegas thing seems wild to me because I can't imagine Tom Brady just coming back to try to pad his historic stats. And there's not the the, um, Raiders. 
They are not a quarterback away or an offensive-minded head coach away from winning a championship. They need some help on the defensive side of the ball. They've been bad at defense for quite some time, and Max with two X's Crosby is not enough to make them good. They're going to need to do something there. So I can't imagine Tom Brady wants to go to Vegas and just get beat up on, honestly. Well, can I push back on that a second here, Nick? They're like six possessions away from, from having like the best record in the entire NFL. If Brady gets you one more possession in about half their games this year, we're having an entirely different conversation about the Raiders. What is your If I were to give you three scenarios, Dan Graziano, one is Brady retires. The second is Brady is someone else's quarterback next year. And the third is he's the quarterback of the Bucs. Where would you rank those in terms of likelihood? I think you ranked them correctly. I think retirement, someone else's quarterback, and then the Bucks are the least Bucks likely. Bucks is last. Yeah, look, he's a free agent. We know he was dabbling with the idea of going to Miami last offseason. Like, the, he had retired, right? Like, it wasn't, he wasn't super eager to get back to Tampa even to play this year. Now he's going to be a free agent uh, and be able to pick his next team if, indeed, he wants to continue playing. So, I, w- I would expect that if he does come back, it would be for a different team besides Tampa. And when he says pick his own team, hand and glove is picking his own coach, and that's where the Sean Payton dynamic is really interesting it is interesting. I mean, it, now the Raiders have a coach that he already knows. Yeah, right. He I can mean, go that, there and play for Josh McDaniels. Him yeah. knowing him could work either yeah, way. <laughs> <laughs> Based upon the things that we've seen. Go ahead, Nick. What's the likeliest yeah. scenario? Give me that, Nick. You got that crystal yeah. ball working down there right. in DC. Think, Give me the crystal I think, ball. Yeah, I, I hate to do this to you, Greeny, but I think people assume that because I'm a former player, I can jump into the minds of former players and tell you what they're thinking. I think that's possible for some former players. Not for the greatest of all time. No. I'm mm. not sure what motivates this man because I mean, four Super Bowls ago, I'd have been satisfied. A hundred million dollars <laughs> ago, I'd have laid back on my laurels. I don't know what motivates him, but it seems to me that football is still – if not the most important thing, the second most important thing in his life. So I can't imagine him just willingly walking away. So I think he ends up somewhere else, but not in Tampa. All right. Well, we will find out soon. So his future, both short-term and long, remain fascinating. As we continue, back to last night's performance, the 49ers making a huge statement in front of not one but two nations. Can Jimmy G go from the bench back to the Super Bowl? We will answer that question. And look who's going to join the party. The one, the only, the big swagoo. Marcus is ready to go. He joins us for hour number two as we get up with you on ESPN. (laughs) 